Friday night was the newcomer's dessert at my house, and we had a great time. And something came up as we were talking. It all had to do with the, the question of why is it that you can go to one place and fully experience the presence of the Holy Spirit to one church one service one, one opportunity and then sometimes even in the same church fellowship you go back the next week and, and it just falls flat and I began thinking about that just since Friday and, and how it applies especially to what we're going to talk about this morning and I really think and I don't mean to, to come off as judgmental of the church itself because I've spent years in ministry in the church, but I'll tell you something, as a pastor, I learned the art of counterfeit experience. I learned how to simulate emotion. I, I know how to do that. I can tell you how to do that. You get the right lighting, and you get the right music, and you get the right mood, and you can go there. And I fear that many times we try so hard because we want so badly to really experience the Lord that what we're doing, is subject, we're doing is subjecting ourselves to counterfeits. It's not really the Holy Spirit. It's just that the music was good. It's not really the Holy Spirit. It's just that the preacher was on. It's not really the Holy Spirit. It's just that, man, something happened. The lighting was just right. Or the, the smoke effects was really cool. Or, you know, the para, what are the, what are the fireworks shows going off. You think, well, we don't go to a church that has fireworks. Yeah, well, we're in a barn, so that wouldn't be a good idea. <laughs> but I was talking with a friend just Friday night, talking about a video he had seen where a worship team was leading, and it was like a, a full-blown concert with smoke and lights and the special effects. And man, the music, when it came on, of course you'd want to jump up on your feet. Of course you'd go, wow, God is here. And the reality is, he might be or he may not be, but there's counterfeit that goes on. And we have learned really well how to do that, how to simulate the presence of God. But you know when it's simulation. Because as exciting as it can be for the moment, the second you head out the door, you're empty. And you kind of wonder, well, what really went on there? That was great. I've been to great Christian concerts where during the songs you felt like God's really here, but by the time you get to the car, you're arguing with the wife or you're, you're, you're completely out of touch. And you realize that we dabble an awful lot in simulation rather than just seeking the presence of the Lord. Let me just ask by a show of hands, how many of you really would like to see God at work in your life? Really want to experience Him? I mean, know that it's Him. It's kind of an obvious question. But I would put it to you this way. If we were a room full, if there was a room full of atheists here, I think you could get the same response. How would you like proof that God is at work in your life? How would you like to see Him actually working? I think it was in about junior high when for the first time in my life that thought came into my head. I want to see God. I want to know that it's Him. I was at Christian camp. And we'd look forward all week to the end of the week where we would go on the midnight hike. And all the junior high guys were checking out the girl that we were going to go on the midnight hike with. <laughs> Hold hands and walk up to that rocky cliff where we would worship and pray and, and hold that hand. <laughs> and I remember that hike because I didn't have a hand to hold other than my own. A little disconcerting. But we got up there on the top and began to sing. And I even remember the song. The song was, Let all that is within me cry worthy. 
Let all that is within me cry worthy. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. And as I sang that song, I remember the position I was in. I was sitting kind of with my back against a rock on a stone this way. And the youth pastor who led the hike was about two people away from me right there. And he began just to talk about God. And I started realizing in my life, man, I, I want to know that it's Him. I don't want to guess. I don't want to simulate experience. I want to know it's Him. And, you know, that was a long time ago. And I grew up. And I got involved in ministry. And I, and I realized, boy, you know, people need motivation. And so I've been involved in many churches where the bottom line was doing whatever we had to do to motivate the people. Even if that meant hiring professional musicians who didn't even believe in God, but they could play the music better for the worship. It's counterfeit. It's not the true experience of God. And that's why I believe there is a difference. There's a difference between going into a place and worshiping and going, wow, God is here. Right, Adam? I mean, God is here. His Spirit is here. And that's what I want. That's the life that I want to live, a life where I know it's the Lord, which leads us right to what we're going to talk about this morning, because that's what Gideon wants. Gideon wanted to know it was the Lord. I'm going to read a bit to you here, and you can follow along. Judges chapter 6, verse 11. tells us that the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Oprah. She's been around a while. Which belonged to Joash. The Abbey is right, and his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Which Gideon was anything but a valiant warrior in that moment. But Gideon then said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, listen, why then has all this happened to us? You been there? Why is this happening? If the Lord is with us, why does Hank have cancer? If the Lord is with us, why is Bill going through such pain down there? If the Lord is with us, why do these things happen to us? He says, where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. So the Lord said, I love this, the Lord looked at him and said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought it was the angel of the Lord. It is. That word angel, you may recall, malach in the Hebrew means messenger. The angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord here is a theophany or a Christophany. It's an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. Why would you say that, Rick? Because Jesus is the manifestation of God in the flesh, the Word made flesh, right? And so what we see here is the Lord is looking at him. In the first person, we hear the Lord speaking to him. The Lord said to him, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? So Gideon says what often we say, Oh Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? You know, my family's the least in Manasseh. And I'm the youngest in my father's house. I'm nothing. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. So Gideon said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who speak to me. Please do not depart from here until I come back to you and bring out my offering and lay it before you. And he said, I will remain until you return. My offering, that phrase is minka, which literally is the meal. It's the same phrase used for the meal offering in Leviticus chapter 2 that Israel was, was instructed to give to the Lord. I will bring a sacrifice. I'm going to bring out an offering here and lay it before you. And so the Lord says, I'll remain until you return. 
Verse 19. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. And he put the meat in the basket and brought and the broth in a pot and brought them out to him under the oak and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And so he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and he touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Such a cool verse. We talked about midweek. There's another time where bread was broken and the Lord vanished from their sight. Do you remember the story? At the end of Luke, the two men walking the road of Emmaus. They saw Jesus. They didn't know it was Jesus until they compelled him or compelled him to stay and eat dinner with them. And the moment he broke bread, he vanished from their sight. Cool parallel. Well, it tells us then in verse 22, when Gideon saw that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Gideon asked for a sign and he got it. Got it good. Skip down to verse 36. Then Gideon said to God, If you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken, behold, I will put out a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there's dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I'll know that you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken. And it was so. When he arose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he drained the dew from the fleece, a bowl full of water. Well, then Gideon said to God, Do not let your anger burn against me that I may speak once more, but please let me make a test once more with the fleece. And now let it be dry only on the fleece, and let there be dew on all the ground. And so God did so that night, for it was dry only on the fleece, and dew was on all the ground. Lord Jesus, we are going to step into a discussion this morning about these things. And I just pray that you will keep our minds sharp that we might see what you're saying and hear what you intend for us to hear. Father, we invite you to speak to each one of us as you see fit and increase our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. We live in a generation that wants to see a sign. Indeed, as a Christian, as a believer, I want to know, I want to see that God is at work. But our world that we live in is sign-focused. We are sign-crazy. Here are some signs that you may have seen along some of America's highways. I like this one. Caution. Water on road during rain. School crossing. Painted out on the road, only school was spelled S-H-C-O-O-L. Someone didn't get that far, apparently. You've heard this one, slow men working. I like that. Slow children playing. Be careful in those neighborhoods. Caution, tree in center of road. Why not move the tree? Caution, blasting zone. Shouldn't that sign just read detour? <laughs> Here's a good one. Here, there's a picture. I saw this on the internet. A sign that's all bullet holed and shot up, and, and it says, Hitchhikers may be escaping inmates. <laughs> I'm just going to keep driving. There. Or this one absolutely nothing for the next 22 miles. <laughs> 
Well, right here at the end of the Gilmore's driveway, drive slowly, old horses, blind dogs, unruly kids. It's my favorite one. But have you seen the God billboards out there? They have the big black billboards and they have white lettering and it's usually just a sentence and then it just says God. Here are a few of those. You can see these at GodSpeaks.com. Will the road you're on get you to my place? Sign God. Need directions? God. Follow me. God. Do you have any idea where you're going? Signed, God. It's a good question. Do you have any idea where you're going? And how do you know the way to go? And how do you know what signs to read? And should we be reading signs at all? People are watching the stock market for signs as to their future. Others are listening to everybody from Oprah, Gideon's hometown, to O'Reilly to try and figure out, you know, which way should I go? What should I do? Others read their horoscope or stop by their local palm reader, of which there seems to be an increasing number in the Northwest. But one thing is certain, this is a generation seeking after a sign, which brings us to this question. As believers in Christ this morning, and if you're not a believer in Jesus, that's great. I'm glad you're here. And I hope you'll just listen in and and, and ask some tough questions this morning. But for those of you who believe in Jesus Christ, is it okay to seek a sign? Specifically, is it okay to seek or ask for signs from the Lord? I'm not going to deal with bogus shams and scams of palm readers and fortune tellers and that kind of thing. But this next story in the book of Judges introduces us to one of, I think, the most intriguing characters. We've seen four judges so far. Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, and Deborah. But of these four judges, we know very little. We know Deborah was a mom. She proclaimed that. We know Shamgar had an ox goad, so he was probably a farmer. We know Ehud knew how to drive in a sword. And we know Othniel was filled with the Holy Spirit and was related to Caleb. That's all we really know about them. But we get to Gideon, and suddenly we have a precious picture of a man struggling to believe. Of a guy in interaction and intimacy with the Father. And for chapters 6, 7, and 8 in the book of Judges, it's all about Gideon and this back and forth struggle. And you're going to see him climb to great heights of faith. And you're going to see him come crashing down to the depths of faithlessness. But the thing I like most about Gideon is he is real. He's just a real guy. And the Lord calls him into an intimate relationship. The story begins with actually a personal call from the angel of the Lord, who I've already said I believe is Jesus. He speaks in the first person. He also receives Gideon's worship, which an angel is not allowed to do, in verses 18 through 22. But the thing that intrigues me the most about this story is the way Gideon wants to know that the person he's following is the Lord. So three times Gideon asks for a sign. And three times the Lord honors Gideon's request. Now I want you to keep a finger there in Judges chapter 6 because we're going to jump around a little bit before we eventually get back to Judges 6 to understand what the Bible has to say about this idea of seeking after a sign. Uh, Is it okay to pursue that with the Lord? A couple of examples. Genesis chapter 24, verse 12 through 15, tells us the story of Abraham sending his servant Eliezer to go get a bride for his son Isaac. And Eliezer, as he approaches this area, sees Rebekah, but before that he, he prays for a sign. He says, God, if, please let the woman who comes and, and, and draws water from this well, let her be the one, because I don't have a clue what I'm doing. 
And so the Lord honors it and Rebekah becomes bride to Isaac. Over in 1 Samuel, another example, 1 Samuel chapter 14, verses 6 through 12. And I encourage you to go back and look at these stories on your own time. Jonathan, Saul's son, wants to know if he and his armor bearer should take on a whole company of Philistines. He sees them there. He, he's got that urging. Man, we, got, we, got, we could take these guys down right now. We could surprise the pack. Just the two of us. You know, and the armor bearer is like, <laughs> okay, whatever you say, Johnny, you know. And so Jonathan prays for a sign. He receives that sign. And they go and they wipe out that group of Philistines. It's a great story. But the Lord himself instructs in another example, the king of Judah, a man by the name of Ahaz, to ask for a sign. Turn in your Bibles over to Isaiah chapter 7. This is one I want you to see. Isaiah chapter 7, beginning in verse 11. Here's an instance where the Lord himself tells King Ahaz to ask for a sign. Beginning in verse 10, actually, I'll read Isaiah chapter 7, verse 10. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it deep as Sheol or high as heaven. In other words, you can ask anything. Well, Ahaz says, verse 12, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. And then he said, Listen now, O house of David, is it too slight a thing? For you to try the patience of men, that you will try the patience of my God as well? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, Isaiah says. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. It's a prophecy of Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. He says, okay, Ahab, you're not asking for a sign. So in your lifetime, you're not going to see a sign. But I'm going to give a sign anyway, and that sign is going to be for the coming of Messiah. Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, my son, is going to come. And I mention this to show you that in the Bible we have a number of signs that are given. Hundreds, literally, of signs given before the first coming of Jesus, and hundreds of signs telling us what it will look like at the second coming of Jesus Christ. The Lord wants us to pay attention to those signs. To be aware of those signs. The first time Jesus would come as a suffering servant. What Mike read to you, it still absolutely stuns me. During communion today, when Mike got up and he read from Isaiah 53, and you hear about him being crushed for our iniquities and pierced through for our transgressions. Gang, that was written 750 years before Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross. That's a sign. It's a big sign. It's a big obvious sign that God is at work in this world. Now, it's clear that God provides signs, wants His people to look for signs, be aware of signs. But in Matthew chapter 16, perhaps this is the problem. Turn over there. Matthew 16. There's a situation going on here where Jesus is having one of His many conversations with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he says to them in verse 2 of Matthew chapter 16, When it's evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? Then he says, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. And he left them, and he went away. Jesus says, dude, the signs are all around you. 
The signs are obvious. You know how to tell the weather and you can't tell who I am? You can't read your own scriptures and see that Emmanuel was born of a virgin? That he came from Bethlehem, Ephrathah? That, that, that I am him? I'm the one? The signs are obvious. It, it, it's kind of like when I was in youth ministry in Virginia. And some of the kids in our youth group thought it would be a lot of fun to go around and collect all the real estate signs they could possibly find, <laughs> along with those big, round, orange, you know, upside-down trash cans with the flashing orange light, the kind of warning cones, and they put them all over my lawn. Cheryl and I walked out in the morning and there's that, you know, that cone just flashing there and signs everywhere and I'm like, my house is really for sale, I guess. You know, there's like 25 or 30 signs out there. It's as foolish as standing there going, I don't see any signs. Where are the signs? I can't see them. I'm missing the signs. Lord, I wish you'd just give me a sign. <laughs> they were all over the place. And that's what Jesus is saying in this, in this passage. He's saying, man, the signs are here. You just can't see them. You know how to tell the weather. You don't know how to tell the signs of the times, the coming of the Son of Man, that I am with you right here talking to you. You don't see that? You don't see that. But the problem is, verse 4, he says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And many people take that and say, okay, so it's evil and adulterous to seek after a sign. So we can't do it. No. Jesus said an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and a sign will not be given it except the sign, listen to this, except the sign of Jonah. Hold that thought. We'll come back to it. Think this through. There are some more verses here to process. Matthew chapter 4 where Jesus is, is being tempted by Satan. And he quotes Deuteronomy 6.16 and he says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Okay, then I shouldn't ask for a sign, right? Well, in Malachi, in the Old Testament, Malachi 3.10, God says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so there may be food in my house and test me now in this. He says to Israel, test me and see if I won't provide all your needs. You bring the 10% I commanded you and I will overflow. He says, I will open the windows of heaven and pour out for you blessing until it overflows. So obviously in that case, a test was okay. But Jesus quoted Deuteronomy saying a test is not okay. Which is it, Lord? And then we read 1 Thessalonians 5.19 where Paul says, Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, but test everything. Examine everything carefully. Cling to what is good. Avoid what is evil. And John says in 1 John 4 verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So I'm getting a conflicting message here, or so it seems. On the one hand, the Bible says, be discerning, ask for a sign, check it out. On the other hand, don't test the Lord. Don't ask for a sign. A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. And so I stand in the middle going, what do I do with this, Lord? And I think the answer is in this, gang. When asking for a sign, as Gideon did three times, the issue is not necessarily the asking, it's the heart. It's not the request, it's the motivation. Why am I asking? What am I looking for? Now back to the story in Judges chapter 6. There are a couple of obvious reasons for people to seek after a sign. 
The first we've, we've seen already now in Matthew 16 with Jesus and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The first reason people ask for a sign is ungodly confrontation. Or in two simple words, prove it. Prove it to me. If you're the Lord, prove it. That was Satan's temptation of Christ. Matthew 4 verse 6. He says, if you are the Son of God, then command these stones to become bread. If you are the Son of God, then jump off the temple. If, he says, if, if, if you're the Son of God, prove it. Prove to me and everybody watching that you're the Son of God. And that is ungodly confrontation and that was the heart and motive of the Pharisees whom Jesus compared to an evil and adulterous generation. They came up to him, Matthew 61, to test him. To see what he'd say. What's he going to do with this? Let me tell you something amazing about Matthew chapter 16. When they come asking for a sign, if you read a little above that in Matthew chapter 15, what had just happened is Jesus had been healing the lame, the blind, the deaf, the sick. He had just fed 4,000 people miraculously. The bread and fish were probably still in the teeth of the Pharisees as they were asking for a sign. Show us a sign, Lord! Were you not... Did you not have your head here when we were doing this? Did you miss that? And so Jesus says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, is looking for the proof. In fact, earlier in Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, it says the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Prove yourselves. And Jesus' response was again, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign. And yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. What is that? What is the sign of Jonah? Someone take a wild leap out there. It's three days in the ground. Gang, the sign of Jonah is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And he said, that's the sign that's going to be given to an evil and adulterous generation. Let me give you something encouraging here. What this generation that you and, and I live in today, this generation needs the sign of Jonah. This generation needs the sign of the cross. This generation does not need you to prove to them that evolution is bogus. This generation does not need you to get into arguments about whether or not God exists. He never argues about it. He just says He does. In the beginning, God. I mean, it's pretty simple. This generation doesn't need us to debate and to get into it with them and to drive wedges between us. What this generation needs is the cross of Jesus Christ. Because the cross is the only sign that really will make a difference. Especially to a heart that is confrontative. Jesus said in Luke 16.31, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. There is a heart that comes before the Lord and says, Prove it. Show me that you're real. And then I'll believe. Ungodly confrontation. You want, by the way, proof of the Lord? Physical, tangible evidence that God is real, that He exists. Well, Paul says it pretty plainly. Romans chapter 1, verse 20, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly seen. Being understood through what has been made, so they're without excuse. He's saying, mankind, we have no excuse to not believe in God. You can open your eyes and see the evidence, the proof. It's all around you. Deny it all you want, but it's true. 
Paul goes on to say, Even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Professing to be wise, they became fools. In America's universities today, professors who think they're wise have become fools. The vast number of liberal universities that we have in America today are preaching things like evolution that even science has debunked. It just doesn't make sense, but they profess to be wise. As they sit around smoking their pipes and wearing their little jackets with the patches and, you know, sitting thinking, now we're the learned men. Not so learned after all. This is the evil and adulterous generation I believe Jesus is talking about. And the issue, gang, is faith. For ungodly confrontation is nothing less than argument for the sake of personal agenda. What do you mean by that, Rick? I mean when people argue against Jesus, it's typically a smokescreen for their lifestyle. Because they don't want to deal with the reality that there may be sin that needs healing with. You and I have done the same thing. And so when you're talking to someone about Jesus and, and they're confrontational and there's a, there's a life change issue going on, I, I encourage you to ask yourselves this. Does this person I'm arguing with have an honest question or do they just want to fight and deflect the truth? And if that's the case, personally I have found confrontational arguments to be a huge waste of my time and the other person's. And you've probably been in those where you've been talking to someone about Jesus and they just keep coming back at you. And every time you think you're getting somewhere, they come up with a new argument against. And it's this, this circle talk that goes round and round and round. And you think, man, I'm getting nowhere with that person. If you're getting nowhere, then stop arguing. Stop debating. And go find a quiet place and lift up that person's name in prayer. Put it in the hands of one who knows how to soften a heart. I'm not good at softening hearts. I'm real good at making hearts harder. Because I want to be right. And I know, I know this is right. And I can swing my Bible with the best of them. You know? But the Lord, the Lord knows how to get into a heart. And so if you're in that kind of ungodly confrontation, realize there's a hard heart you're dealing with and it's up to the Lord. It is the Holy Spirit who convicts the world of sin, not you, not me. It is the Lord who judges, not you, not me. Pray for those who are coming difficult and and tough against the Lord. Pray for them. Give it to God. Now back to Judges. Verse uh, 17 of chapter 6. Gideon said to Jesus... If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. And gang, I don't think Gideon has a problem with ungodly confrontation. I think, number two, Gideon has a need for godly confirmation. He's looking to know, is this the Lord? Is this the God of Israel who is calling me to this? Lord, is it you? Lord, is it you? I have asked that question so many times in the last three and a half years. Lord, is this you who introduced us to this kind of strange family who are willing to have an entire church campus overtake their their home? 
And I say strange in a very loving way, Heather. You just need to know that. Lord, is it you who connected us here? And they were, I mean, you think, I was thinking that. You've got to ask the Gilmores what they were thinking when they first met me. This guy walks into the living room and goes, hey, let's plant a church. Want to do that? It'll be fine. Let's do what God does, you know. But all through that, from the moment, gang, that I knew that God called us to plant the bridge. I, it wasn't this, I, I've, I've had people say, wow, it really took a lot of faith. <laughs> I was scared to death. I was shaking in my boots. And not a day went by for the first several weeks at least that I didn't go, God, can you confirm it one more time today? Because yesterday was good, today I, I don't know. I'm not sure if I really, i got to know this is you, Lord. I've got to know this is you. Was I faithless? Probably. Was Gideon faithless when he asked to know that it was the Lord? Probably, probably he was. But he's asking for this confirming sign. And what I love about the Lord is he gives it to him again and again and again. He meets Gideon where he is. And he'll do that with you and with me. He will meet us even in our faithlessness and respond. And there's a godly principle to this whole idea of godly confirmation. Let's even use the phrase this morning. We, we have confirmation. What Les was going to share, Mike didn't know what Les was going to talk about. I had already heard what Les talked about during communion first hour. Mike hadn't. Mike comes up to me and says, Hey, can, we, can I read out of Isaiah? I feel like some people are, are really struggling and suffering here, and I want to read this about Jesus and, and how he, he bears up our suffering. So Mike reads that, not knowing a clueless wonder that he was. Didn't know. And I'm not saying he's always that way. I'm, I'm hoping, Mike, with takeoffs and landings, you're not clueless, but he's a pilot. He didn't know. And so Les gets up and says, We have had a confirming word to what the Lord put on my heart to share. So there's a perfect example right there of seeking confirmation for the Lord and getting it. And God gave us confirmation before we even asked on that one. That's pretty cool. But there's a godly principle in this idea of seeking confirmation from the Lord. And it's all bound up in this word, discernment. The Lord would that you and I learn to discern. To ask Him, is this you? To look for the signs that it is of the Father and not of my flesh and not of someone else's workings or doings. He said, here's some verses for you. You can jot these down and read them later. Psalm 2, verse 10. Now therefore, kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling and do homage to the Son. In other words, discern it is who you are worshiping. You make sure wherever you're at that when worship is taking place, the worship is to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son, and not to some other image or counterfeit of who Jesus really is. Discernment. Psalm 119.66 Teach me good discernment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Now I keep your words. That's why we have the word, because it helps us learn to discern. More on that in a minute. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 3. If you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver, then search for her as for hidden treasures. Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and, the, and discover the knowledge of God. But, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 2.14, A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The things of the Lord are spiritually discerned. And Paul is so serious about this in Philippians 1.9. He says, This I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and in all discernment. 
so that you may approve of the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. A heart of faith that seeks confirmation is a heart that is looking for discernment, discerning what God's will is, what He's doing, looking for the signs that the Lord is giving. Now, back in Judges chapter 6, verse 36, get to this fleece thing, because this is interesting. Gideon said to God, If you'll deliver Israel through me, as you have spoken, behold, I will put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it's dry on all the ground, then I will know that you will deliver Israel through me, as you have spoken. And it was so. When he arose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he drained the water from the fleece, a bowl full of water. But that wasn't quite enough for Gideon. Why? Because the first of these two sides of the fleece was a sign that could have been natural. Could have been. The, the region is very arid and dry. Dew falls and could easily get soaked up into the dry earth and disappear before it would disappear from fleece. You put out some fleece. Sometimes you've seen this even, even here in the northwest. You have a, a, a mat out on your front porch and the mat will be wet even though the ground is dry around it because it'll hold the water a little bit longer. So Gideon sees this fleece and he, he goes, okay, that, that could be the Lord. That could be a sign. Um... God, can I just ask one more? Can we get just a little more supernatural? What if you make the fleece dry and all the ground is soaking wet? Now that, that would be a miracle. I can believe in that one. And what's great is God does it. We understand that Gideon's request wasn't a matter of ungodly confrontation, but there are many who still believe it came out of that place of faithlessness. He just wasn't trusting the Lord. After all... After all, Gideon had already been confirmed by the Lord in the, in the supernatural sign of the fire that you know, came up out of the rock. That's pretty intense. That's pretty God. You know, he should have believed then. He didn't quite have enough faith at that point. Others see a biblical example here of, of Gideon showing godly confirmation. What do you think it is, Rick? My opinion is the only way we can know is to climb into Gideon's heart and dig around. That's the only way we can truly know what his motives were. Was he faithless or was he just seeking godly confirmation? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But I know, as I said before, that God knows our frailties. And I love this about the Lord. He calls us to faith, but even when we are faithless, Paul says, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He meets us where we are. In those moments where I'm sitting there and I'm having trouble believing, and I'm struggling with... Ah, is this really the Lord? As I did when we started the bridge, Lord, is this really you? Now, it's easy today to look back over three and a half years ago. <laughs> it was the Lord. And it continues to be the Lord. But in those early days, I just wasn't sure. I was struggling with faith, and God met me there. And again and again, He gave confirmation. As I asked for it, I kept turning the fleece over. And I'd turn it back over, and turn it over again, and turn it back and over. Can we get it wet this morning? You know, how about like Kool-Aid? Can we cover it with Kool-Aid? Anything. You know, I'm asking for confirmation from the Lord. I felt a lot. I really could relate to the father of the demon-possessed boy. Not because, you know, Corey has any problems, but... Or Hayden, for that matter, you know. But the father of the demon-possessed boy, you know the story, he brought his boy to Jesus. Actually, he brought his boy to the disciples, and they couldn't heal him. So this big dispute arises, and Jesus comes into the scene, and says, what are you guys arguing about? And then says, my, my son is possessed. He falls into the fire. He falls into the water. I can't control him. And I brought him to your, your disciples to heal him. And they couldn't do it. If you can help me, and Jesus immediately says, 
If? Apparently we haven't been introduced. <laughs> if I can help you, all things are possible to him who believes. And this man's prayer, it is a prayer I have prayed over and over. I believe. Help my unbelief. I have faith, Lord. Increase my faith. Give me more faith. And the Bible tells us, by the way, even our faith comes from the Lord. So if you're struggling believing, you ask the Father for more faith. Sometimes the signs of confirmation can do that, just that. They can increase our faith. And so we ask, Lord, confirm that this is you. Whether it's someone bringing me a, a scripture, or someone bringing a word, just saying something to me, or, or, or a circumstance or something, help me to see you. Now real quickly, I want to give you some, some practical principles here to seeking confirmation. You might want to jot them down if you're a note taker. And the first one is simply this. Before laying out a fleece before the Lord, before you do that, look into the Word. Check the Word first. Because sometimes we lay out a fleece because we don't like what the Word says. So we think we're going to test God in a different way. If the guidelines are already written down in Scripture, there's really no need to ask. For example, someone might be considering sexual sin and say, Okay, Lord, if she shows up at my house tonight, then I'll I'll consider that a confirmation from you that we're supposed to be together. And you might say, Okay, that's, that's silly. It's ridiculous. Who would do that? How many of you have ever rationalized a sin? Maybe not that particular sin. Someone goes, oh, wait, not that one. As the elders are writing down names. How many of you, though, have said, okay, if this happens, then I'm just going to do this. You know? If, then, you know? If I see this, then I'm going to assume that I'm just going to kind of go ahead. Even though in your head, you know it's not right. But you still go, yeah, but I'm looking for a little confirmation. Hey, you know what? Do we need confirmation that we're not supposed to lie? Do we need confirmation that stealing is not a good idea? Boy, this watch is so cool. And Lord, I'll tell you what, I'm going to walk out of the store right now. And if nobody notices, I'm going to take that as a word from the Lord that I'm supposed to have this watch in my people. And Lord, I'll give it back if someone notices. But I will keep it for the store until they do. It's rationalization and it is, it's, it's going to the fleece before you've gone to the word. The word is so clear of so many things. Do we need the fleece to confirm whether or not the Lord wants us to avoid heresy? Oh, but that church feels so good. I know their teaching's a little off, but it feels so good there. Hey, have you been to the Word? Do we need a fleece for the Lord to validate what He has already written down as truth? If it's something the Lord has already told us in the Word, there's no need to set out a fleece. In fact, that's when you are fleecing the Lord. <laughs> you're trying to get something out of God that you're not going to get because He's already given you the bottom line, the foundation, the truth. And so before you lay out a fleece, start there. Remember Satan's temptation of Eve? The very first temptation in history began with these words in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Indeed, Did God really say? Indeed, did God really say? Is that what His Word really teaches? And what we can so easily do, instead of going to the Word to find out, we can go, I'm going to throw out a fleece and see. And you're wasting your time. If God's already spoken it. 
if he's already written it down. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Second Peter 1.19 We have the prophetic word made more sure to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. The word is the lamp. The dark place is the world in which we live and we need to get through this darkness. And we have a lamp for our feet, a light to our path. Jesus said in John 17, 17, Your word is truth. So if it's already in the word, you don't need to throw out the fleece. Secondly, when laying out a fleece, don't limit the Lord. When laying out a fleece, don't limit the Lord. If you hand God a plan A and a plan B, you're limiting the Lord. Father, I intend to serve you and serve you well, whether it's here in the Northwest or in Maui. Your call. You know, and the Lord says, Africa. No, no, no. I said the Northwest or Maui. Plan A, plan B. There's nothing between A and B, Father. And He finds a way to get something in between A and B, doesn't He? It's like A.5. Don't limit the Lord, because when we limit the Lord, we miss the real blessing. We miss the real joy, the real excitement, the real amazing thing that God can and wants to do. Sometimes we limit the Lord just time-wise. We say, okay, by 6 o'clock tomorrow, God, I need an answer on this. And if I haven't heard from you, I'm going to assume that Maui is where you want me to be. I'm just going to, you know, that's, that's what I'm going to do. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says, To him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or imagine... According to the power that works within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Now, I don't know about you, but i got an active imagination. It's kind of like that scene in Star Wars, the first one. And actually the first one, because of my kids, they're into the next generation of Star Wars, so they understand that it's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Well, 4, 5, 6 for me are 1, 2, 3. I'm very confused about all of this, because the first three were made first. So that's 1, 2, and 3 for me. Anyway... Not important. In fact, this whole example is not important, but I mean, I'm already on it, so let's go. You know how when Luke and Han Solo are in that little control room on the Death Star, right? And they're sitting there, and, and, and Luke says, says we got to rescue the princess. And Han says, no, we're not going to rescue the princess. And Luke says, well, you know, if you rescue her, I mean, the reward would be... And he goes, what? And he goes, well, more money than you can imagine. And Han goes, I don't know, I can imagine an awful lot. <laughs> See, that was the whole example right there. Probably wasn't worth it, was it? But see, that's me with the Lord. That's me with the Lord. I can imagine an awful lot. But Paul says he can give more than you can ask or imagine. Do you want to limit that? Do you want to ask for a sign that confirms what you want to do when what God has for you could be mind-blowing? could be huge in my case and I'm just speaking from reality with the bridge this is far beyond anything we asked or imagined and I don't think he's done I pray that he's not because there are a lot of people here in North Whibby and in this region who don't know Jesus who need to know Jesus far beyond what we ask and imagine I love this verse Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.5 we are destroying imaginations you know, with all apologies to Walt Disney, we are destroying imaginations and every lofty thing, lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I don't want it to be what I imagine it can be. I want it to be what He wants it to be. 
And so I'm going to crush my imagination and say, Lord, what do you want to do? You confirm your word, Lord. You show me what you want. That's, I think, what Gideon is doing to a degree here. Show me what you want. Confirm that again. Confirm it again. No matter, gang, how exciting my personal will may be for this church or my family or my life, His will is grander by far and I want to be saturated with what He's doing. That's the experience I want. I'm telling you, for me personally, I'm not preaching it right now, I'm saying this is what Rick wants in his life. I want to know that it's God and I want to see Him at work. And I don't want to sit back and miss it because we've been able to counterfeit it in some other way. Finally, and God just showed me something last hour that you're going to get that they don't get to get, so you're going to have to go and tell them later. When laying out a fleece, listen for the Holy Spirit, but watch this. Look at what, what just happened here. This whole thing with the fleece. This is in Israel. Israel is a dry place. Water is life in Israel. And so for Gideon to choose this, this water on the fleece, this dew on the fleece thing, and this fleece is, is just drenched with water. And then he chooses, okay, make the fleece dry, and the ground drenched with the dew. You begin to think about that and understand a couple of things. That dew in the Old Testament is a really beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit. Hosea chapter 14 verse 5 I will be like the dew to Israel He will blossom like the lily And he will take root like the cedars of Lebanon And what is it that the Holy Spirit does in my life? The fruit of the Spirit begins to grow As the dew of the Spirit comes upon me I blossom like the lily But the fruit grows I flower in the Lord and in the same way, as I, as I go further into the Spirit, as He draws me in and, and saturates my life, my roots go deeper in my faith. It's an awesome picture. And here's a verse for you that will knock you right out of your seat. There are people who say, I only hear about this whole rapture of the church thing. There are a few kind of New testament verses. Well, I don't see anything in the Old Testament, so it, it can't really be. Well, okay, and there are numerous pictures of it in the Old Testament. Enoch, who walked with God and then was taken up, he was no more. He was raptured. Elijah, who's caught up in his fiery chariot. We see it in numerous pictures and examples of people being pulled out. And listen to this verse, Isaiah 26, verse 19. Your dead will live, their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy. For your dew is as the dew of the dawn. And the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. Come, my people, enter into your rooms. What rooms? The rooms I believe Jesus is preparing for us. John 14, 1 and 2 and 3. The place that he goes to prepare for us. Come, enter into your rooms and close your doors behind you. Hide for a little while until indignation runs its course. That's powerful stuff. Read that and then read 1 Thessalonians 4, 4 verses 17 and 18 talking about the dead in Christ rising first and then those of us who are alive rising to meet with them in the air and to be with the Lord forever as we are caught up. But the picture here, don't miss this. This dew, your dew is as the dew of the dawn. Your dew that drenches, that, that completely soaks us through. And think about this. What was the dew on in that first request? What was the dew on? Fleece. Where does fleece come from? Sheep. Sheep. Psalm 95, verse 7. He is our God and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hands. 
John 10.16, Jesus says, And I have other sheep, not just Israel, I have other sheep, not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice. What are you talking about? The sheep, the fleece, soaked through with the dew, the picture of the Holy Spirit. And it works two ways, James. Either I am saturated, and this is, my, this is my prayer, that I would be saturated with the Spirit of God. Like the fleece in Gideon's first request. So saturated that I know it's the Lord. That I know what He's calling me to. He's confirming it as He saturates me with His Spirit. But, but, I also know from experience there are times in my life where I am dry as dust. Where my fleece, my little sheepskin back is dry. And so I pray, in those seasons, Lord, saturate the ground around me with your Spirit. Saturate the people who are all around me. May I be surrounded by friends and family and brothers and sisters in Christ who are so Spirit-filled and Spirit-led. They are saturated. So even when I'm dry, your work can continue. Your Spirit is still doing what your Spirit does beautifully. Saturating us, filling us up, covering us, so that the work of Jesus Christ continues in this world. Is it okay to seek confirmation from the Lord? Gang, if you're struggling in your faith, the Lord will meet you where you are. Ask Him. Ask Him. Father, I just need to know it's You. Jesus, I just... Will You shore up my faith because I'm struggling? My fleece is dry. Surround me with the dew. And if you're drenched, if you're drenched with the Spirit, I pray that you will be empowered to speak the name of Jesus to those whose lives are dry. Let's pray together. Father, we are the sheep of your hand. We're the people of your pasture. We join, Father, with Israel before us, who you called, grafted in. Once we were not a people, now we are the people of God. But Lord, we still struggle in our flesh. We, like Gideon, have our faithless moments. And while we pray increase our faith, we also pray, Jesus, would you just drench us with the dew of your Spirit? Cover us over. Grow in us your fruit. Root us deep in your Word. And may we follow you and know you to be the Christ. And if this morning... You've never made a decision for Jesus and you want to. I I invite you to pray after me. Lord Jesus, my life is dry. I am a sinner. I've done all the rationalizing and I ask you to forgive me. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I believe in the sign of Jonah, the sign of the cross. I know you died. And I accept, Lord, that you died for my sin to wash me clean. And cover me with your spirit. Come into my life this morning, Lord, and be my Savior. And be my Lord in Jesus' name. Amen.